0: Now, here's Jack Riccardi.
1: Now, I'm pretty sure you're a baseball fan, right? I am. You're a big baseball fan. So here's the analogy I want to use. When I saw former President Obama today at the White House with President Biden, if that was a baseball team, that was like going to your ninth inning closer in like the second or third inning.
0: Yeah, your high leverage Situation. Like, you know, yeah. you,
1: you got in your bullpen, you've got like the bulk relievers that can do several innings of junk time. If you're hopelessly behind 19 to one, you have like the long-term guy. If your starter blows out his arm in the first inning, you have the mid-range guys, the, you have the eighth inning specialist and then you have the closer, the ninth inning, the, the guy that gets the save. And, and, and I just thought it was incredible today to see them bring in Barack Obama. Uh, ostensibly to talk about the Affordable Care Act, but in a larger sense, they are just trying to, you know, excite the base and, and, and connect with happier times for Democrats. And, um, I thought to myself, I could see that maybe, you know, r- the weekend before election day or something like that. But boy, right now in April, you got to be in a lot of trouble. So that's today's inappropriate baseball analogy on the Jack Ricardi show. Now, I want to point out something that's interesting about this that um, the, the um, I read an article about a a couple of focus groups that were made up of biden voters these are These are core democratic capital D democratic supporters These are people that enthusiastically voted for joe biden in in two thousand and twenty and the focus groups revealed great discontent. And worry among these Biden voters about the direction of the country. They talked about inflation. They talked about crime. They talked about COVID 19 restrictions. They didn't talk about January 6th. They didn't talk about Donald Trump. They didn't talk about the things that Democrats have leaned into this year. They're not talking about the things their party is talking about. This has nothing to do with the Republicans. The Republicans have no part in this. This is a very weird moment in politics. Because it's one thing when the other party tries to get in between you and your voters. The Republicans aren't doing that. They're benefiting from how confused and angry people are. And as I've said many times in this show, I don't think they even know why. I'm also not entirely sure, and I don't want to rain in your parade, but I'm not entirely sure the Republicans have answers to these things. They just aren't the people currently running us off a cliff. But anyway, back to these focus groups. So they're leaning into issues that we've been talking about recently. The importance of, uh, you know, Trans education in in the schools, uh, boys identifying as girls and playing girls sports. They're shouting and screaming about things that people don't care about. Polling in Florida indicates that when you take the names and the party labels off the parental rights and education bill, a solid majority of Democrats support it. A solid majority of people that voted for Joe Biden... And are in Joe Biden's party, and Joe Biden's party is 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 wetting their pants over the don't say gay law. But these people, when you tell them what's in it, support it. Now there's a guy we've had on the show a number of times, I really like him. Uh he's one of the editors at Reason Magazine, Robbie Suave. And he said something on Twitter that was just weird. I and I I've thought about having him on the show, and maybe we will tomorrow. I I I, I don't know where he's coming from on this, but he, he, would, his take on the uh, the the deal in Florida is that it's weird to not want your kids to know details of their teachers' personal lives. He called it very weird. He said, "You know what? If that's what you expect from school, if you expect your kids to go to school and not." find out about your teachers their teachers private life you better just forget about sending your kids to school just don't homeschool your child and I have nothing against homeschooling but I'm a little sick and tired of when we try to suggest uh, the right way to reform schools and when we try to suggest that schools need to do their job we get homeschooling thrown in our face by people that don't believe in it don't respect it think it's witchcraft and weird and like you know uh, churning your own butter or something Why don't you just homeschool, they say. Well, okay, first, can I keep all the taxes I send to your school district? (laughs) No? Oh, well then, I'm sorry, you're going to have to listen to my opinion about public schools. The issue in these schools is not saying the word gay. That's nowhere in the bill. The issue is not that we don't want teachers to be real people or if they get a new puppy, or if they went on a fun vacation. Of course they can talk about that to their kids or put pictures up. There's no reason they can't and they wouldn't. And no one is objecting to that. But what the law is about is whether or not you can teach, indoctrinate, encourage, take sides in the development of a child's sexuality and gender identity it is not about knowing your teachers lives it is about teachers staying out of the lives of children and their families and confining themselves to the things that we send our kids to school for and the people that are pretending this is about i can't be a real person are the ones that are very very weird I want to play you another example. We have one of these, it seems like every day. And I don't know where this gentleman is a teacher. He has a TikTok channel. He calls himself Mr. E. And this is something he posted um, about a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, he's a fifth-grade teacher. Listen to this.
2: Um, I ended up telling the, my students that I was gay. Um, and how it came up was one of the students... Oh, I was like, you know, my mom thinks that you're gay because of your voice. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. So, so they were asking me if I was because I kind of alluded that I was. So I kind of let them wonder and ponder on it. And I have like, um, you know, like the LGBT uh, promotional, like uh, this is a safe community kind of stuff. The rainbow stuff all up in my room. And I told them, I'm like, if you look around the room, that should give you an answer to your question. So I did officially tell them. Um, they, of course, went berserk. So instead of teaching social studies today, um, they just asked me a whole bunch of questions about being gay. So I think of it was pretty well.
1: I, I don't know if he's a teacher in Florida or not, but this is what I'm talking about. I don't, know what, I don't know what your concern is, but this is what I'm talking about. By the way, I like the fact that he called the LGBTQ uh, material Promotional material. Did you notice that? Isn't that giving away the game? It's promoting. I'm I'm putting up promotional material. Um, I I don't want to be mean and I and I, and I don't want to come off that way and I hope I don't come off that way. He seems like a very sad guy. He seems like a very lonely guy. Apparently, he doesn't have anybody to talk to his own age, so he has this, he does this communing with his kids. He's dying for them to ask. Oh, I hope they'll notice. I hope they'll ask so I can tell them. I, and, and he needs the valid. He's a grown man, and he needs the validation of children for his his life choices. And he's happy. He thinks it's cool that they didn't do the subject matter that day. Now, I know teachers that will tell you, oh, my gosh, it's like, I can never get this stuff in, and we we never have enough time, and there's so much in the curriculum. And, you know, they'll, they'll tell you it's tough to get it all done and teach the test and everything else, and I sympathize with that. Here on the other end of the spectrum is a teacher like, well, we blew off a day so that we could talk about my personal life. This is why the law was passed. But more importantly, this is the stuff Democrats are leaning into. This is the stuff that they're driving their party off the cliff with. Their own voters are telling them in focus groups, this is not what we're worried about. This is not what's keeping us up at night. And so this is not a Democrat-Republican thing anymore. This is a a widening gap between the people we've elected and the the people. (laughs) Because the country has real needs. And you can argue that politicians are rich and fat cats and they don't care and they don't... And I'll give you that. Both parties, I'll give you that. But this is like they don't even look out the window of the limousine anymore. They're, they don't even... It's not that they're ignoring what's happening to real people. They don't even know. They think fighting for teachers like Mr. E here on TikTok is the mission this is the, the, the civil rights challenge of our time. And meanwhile, people can't pay their bills, they can't put gas in their car, they can't put food on the table, they're worried about crime, they're buying guns, even people that didn't want a gun three years ago now buying a gun. 210-599-5555. I will talk about that. Also, I don't, have you noticed uh, what's happening with the Sacramento shooting story? Have you noticed how fast that story has faded out of the news? Now, they just arrested a third suspect just in the last couple of hours. They haven't actually charged them with killing the victims or wounding the victims. I think it's six dead and 12 wounded or something like that. So far, they've only charged them with specific firearms crimes. It's puzzling the way this is all unfolding. Uh, 210-599-5555. 55 it's just it's interesting to watch i know you you may or may not be a democratic voter you may have voted democrat and have changed maybe your parents your family used to vote democrat and now you don't that's my situation we were democrats my family were democrats my siblings are all still democrats but it it's it, i've never seen them lose their way like this it's one thing to say well i'm a conservative i disagree with what they want to do their, their own party their own people don't don't get where they're going right now. They don't get the priorities. And when you tell them the truth and this is what I was saying yesterday about you've got to tell the truth about inflation you've got to explain to people where it's coming from. It's not coming from Putin okay it's not coming from Trump okay when you when you break down for people what's in that Florida law about the schools? It just makes sense to people, white, black, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Like, yes, of course. Yeah, no, kids, third grade and under don't need to be taught that stuff or indoctrinated on that stuff. And teachers that are doing it, really sound again, sort of lonely and like they have a problem. I'm not. I'm not trying to pick on this guy. He he sounds like he needs a friend, to whom he can. Talk about this stuff. His fifth grade classroom is not that place, I don't think. There was a controversy in New York. The city had put out a uh, deal about, um, it was from the Department of Health, and they had made a reference to black and Puerto Rican mothers and followed that up with a reference to non-Hispanic white birthing people. And then they rushed out a correction. We apologize for inadvertently gendering black and Puerto Rican birthing people. I'm not joking. This only matters to people that write this stuff in the real world. You're a mother. No offense. You know what I mean. You're that kind of mother. Or maybe you're the other kind. I don't know. 210-599-5555. Speaking of New York, by the way, this is kind of funny. Um, we, we talked a little bit about yesterday about how the, uh, the city of New York is running ads in Florida saying to people, Hey, uh, that, that, that new law, that don't say gay law is just terrible. You should come to New York. The ads say they're all brightly hued rainbow colors. You should come to New York, the ad says, where you can say anything. We're a place where you can say anything except if you say to the mayor of New York that toddlers should not have to wear masks. The New York Post has a story today about a mom who confronted the new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, about his toddler mask mandate. She got fired from her city job. I thought it was the city where you could say anything. <laughs> I know it was the city, used to be the city where, uh, the city that never sleeps. And now it wants to be the city where you can say anything, except apparently if you say anything critical to their, uh, porcelain mayor. Yeah, here's the story from the New York Post. The Big Apple mom who crashed Mayor Adams' press conference Monday to blast him over his tot mask mandate was fired shortly after from her job at the city law department. Daniela Jimpel, who was an assistant corporate counsel, Learned she was canned less than an hour after confronting the annoyed and off-guard Adams and saying to him that he should unmask our toddlers. So she had challenged the mayor at an event. She said that you promised you would take the masks off. Why haven't you done it? Why are you doing it? And he got a little snippy with her. And then apparently he or somebody gave the order that uh, she was to be let go. It's really something when Democrats are kicking women out of their government jobs for speaking out. Isn't that what they used to accuse Republicans of doing? Didn't they used to say, well, Republicans think women should stay in the kitchen and be barefoot and pregnant, and we're the ones that give them opportunities unless they speak their mind, and then they should be in the kitchen. But I, again, I just I, I want them to keep doing this. I want them to keep revealing, you know, that they're like a card player who's showing his cards. They've never shown their cards like this. I hope people are noticing. I hope people have have noticed and are and are noticing. And speaking of COVID, there was an interesting. Um, the National uh, Rifle Association put out a statement. Uh, where they made the connection, you know, we're at the two-year mark. It was about two years ago that all the COVID restrictions were kicking in, right? Mid to late March, and here we are now in early April. So about two years ago. And they made the observation that constitutional carry has been turbocharged by the pandemic. And I didn't know this, but in the two years of the pandemic, ten states have gone to constitutional carry. And this week, Georgia is becoming the 25th state with constitutional carry. National Rifle Association lobbyist Jason Wamey said, COVID turbocharged the constitutional carry movement. Uh, Because first, COVID meant that there were um, undermanned police departments and then we saw the violence of the summer of 20 so covid arrived in the spring of 2020 we saw the violence in the summer of 2020 we saw cities and states dial back hold back their law enforcement we saw the chaz we saw the mostly peaceful protests we saw sex offenders And multiple offenders take over city blocks and city streets and be allowed to do it. The mayor of Seattle called it a summer of love. But you couldn't carry a firearm in self-defense. And so since then, it's been a straight spike upward for gun sales, we talked about that yesterday, and constitutional carry. It's historic. In other words, it's never moved this fast in such a short amount of time. And, and who did it? What, it wasn't, it wasn't talk show hosts advocating for the Second Amendment. It wasn't the Republican Party being robust about the Second Amendment. They're not. It was just people saying, I, I gotta do something that the world's going crazy. Things are breaking down the same thing with the schools. People aren't going to school board meetings as Republicans or conservatives or talk radio listeners or Fox News viewers. They're going, and some of them are, are. if they do identify, some of them tell you, I'm a liberal Democrat. But the world's gone crazy. And we need to take back sanity. We need to step up. You see the pattern here? It's in everything. It's just once you start seeing it, you can't stop seeing it. So, you know who the... um the proud boys are right you've heard of the proud boys and you know whatever you think of them and their activities and and the stuff they've done and the stuff they've said um they apparently did a food this is from the hartford current newspaper they did a food drive and they raised um 1,500 items, cans and packages of food for the local uh, food pantry, um, which is a group called Enfield Loaves and Fishes. And they made a donation of it about a week and a half ago. And when they brought it, there was a volunteer there, and the volunteer accepted it. But then they found out who it came from. And the management of the food pantry contacted them and said, you're going to have to come pick it up. You're going to have to come take it back. We we don't want it. We can't take it. She said, her name is Nicole Matthews, she said, their policy on donations, uh, there has to be nothing that compromises their core values. There has to be compatibility between the intent of the donor and the organization's use of the gift whether acceptance of the gift could damage the soup kitchen's reputation and whether the primary benefit is to Enfield Loaves and Fishes versus the donor. And they said, we're turning it down in a way that most nonprofits would do. This is normal conduct for food pantries, food banks. We we will not take a donation from an organization like yours. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. So the Proud Boys, whatever you think of them, whatever you think of their beliefs, Proud Boys of Connecticut was the name of the group. They did the uh, the, the charity drive. They got the stuff. And so they went and picked it up. And they, they say they distributed it on a smaller basis to other organizations. I guess, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. Maybe w- without saying who they were. Um, I, I don't like them. I have no use for them. But isn't the core mission, to use her words, to feed hungry people? Not only is that the core mission, it would seem like that is actually the only mission. So it's okay to have rules and, and guidelines, but if that was a meal someone is not eating, if that was a meal some family is not getting, if that was another night that some kid went to bed hungry in Connecticut, I don't I don't get what the what have we accomplished here. Now I'm not naive. I realize that when groups give to a food bank, whether it's the S.A. Food Bank or any food bank, they give many of them, not all of them, but many of them give for the PR value of it. Right. So if you're a corporation. Uh, if you're a a school, whatever it is, if you do a food drive and you deliver a big bunch of stuff to your local food pantry, you're gonna, I guess brag is the right word. I don't mean that in a bad way, but you're gonna, you're gonna let everybody know, hey, we had a great time. We had a wonderful turnout. Uh, we broke the record. This is the most we've ever raised. We were proud to deliver it to the local charity. Here's a picture of us dropping it off or whatever. I mean, companies do this. Schools do it. Clubs do it. When, you know, when we were doing rapping with Jack, every organization that was involved pr- promoted what they gave and how much they gave or brought on their social media. That's fine. You can't control that. You really don't want to control that. No one thinks that this food was tainted by who raised the donations. Once it goes on the shelf, it's a can of beans, right? Do you think they should have turned it down, or do you think they were right to turn it down? 210-599-5555. I have a problem with this. I do, because even though I know what they were trying to avoid was they didn't want Proud Boys bragging about having helped them, that is a small price to pay compared to not feeding hungry people. How do you not see that? And you don't know what every donor does. You may know them because we know their name; they're infamous. But you don't know that the 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 guy that comes up with a station wagon full of food and, and and delivers it, and you give him a nice thank you and you shake his hand. You don't know what kind of a person he is. You don't know if he's moral or immoral or hateful or has hate in his heart. You don't know. He, he could he could be a serial killer. You don't know. And they're not going to know. 210-599-5555. So I'm going to get your thoughts on that. Um, again, it's a soup kitchen in Connecticut. They rejected um, about 800 pounds of food. It was 1,500 items. Uh, when they found out that the Proud Boys of Connecticut had raised the, um, the food items, had done a food drive, do you think they were right to do that, wrong to do that? Do you have a different take on it? Uh, we'll get your calls on that, plus your votes in the JR poll, 210-599-5555. Now, if you wanted to put out a statement saying, uh, we appreciate the gift, but in no way do we endorse them or their mission or their hateful utterances, you could say that. That would be fine. You know, um, I just think your mission needs to be feeding hungry people. And anything that isn't breaking the law, and anything that isn't, st- I mean, like, you wouldn't want to receive stolen food. If somebody hijacked a truck, you wouldn't want to take that. I understand that. But short of that, I don't know how you get into the business of rejecting donations. Um, I really don't. I don't. I, I can't see that. Rick is on KTSA. Rick, good afternoon.
3: Howdy, howdy. How you all doing today?
1: Good, thank you, sir. How are you?
3: I'm doing good. Enjoying the show. Uh, I just wanted to comment on this uh, food bank thing that you're talking about. Um, first of all, I think that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever freaking heard i mean you're trying to reach people who are hungry and there's a lot of people in this country that are hungry but i'm go- i'm going to stand on a christian basis and say this that you know god even uses your own enemies to provide for you and so it whatever doorway that has been opened for this food to be delivered to this food bank to feed people who are hungry that's a door he's opened for them mm-hmm. to refuse that, it, that's refusing mm-hmm. people to be able to eat. That's, that's sad.
1: Mm-hmm. That's very sad. Now, Rick, what if what, if what they're worried about, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you. What if what they're worried about is that the Proud Boys are trying to get a better image and uh, maybe fool people into thinking, oh, we're just a men's club, we're just a, a great bunch of people, and so you, you think they're going to use your good name, the good name of your charity, to do that?
3: Well, I mean, it's the thing is that if they do that, then that's what they do. But it shouldn't matter. Why are you worried about what everybody has to say or what they're going to do or what they're going to, you know, mm-hmm. wherever the food comes from, you, you, you've done your mission to feed mm-hmm. people. Right. The most important thing is to build a right. feed people. It, it doesn't matter where it comes from because... You know,
1: any door. Well, it would matter. It would matter if it was stolen. It would matter. You know, it would matter if it was like, uh, expired food or stolen. But yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. And I agree with you. Your mission is to feed hungry people, not to, not to decide they don't need to eat because you're unhappy with who donated the food. Right. Yeah. Rick, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Because that's what they did. They decided, well, (laughs) we're, we're not going to feed X number of people. Uh, because we don't like this donor. I don't like the donor either, but people got to eat. 210 599 Sarah is on KTSA. Hi, Sarah.
4: Hey, it's hot out there today.
1: Yes, uh, it is.
4: I agree with your prior caller, but I also want to say, Loves and Fishes is a national organization, and I, I wonder up the food chain of the food chain what the thoughts are from them because shame on them uh, because that shows a, a, a heart and a, and a redemption, you know, even if it's just a tiny crack in the redemption for proud boys, that they're doing something positive in the community. And do you think that that food bank doesn't apply to all nationalities, all races, all, and, and, mm-hmm. the proud boys mm-hmm. aren't aware of this. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was just like an, an inch towards give them credit for some redemption there. Um, and maybe use that as a doorway into that organization to say, you know, Hey, maybe we can turn, turn your folks around and okay. get each other. Right the other thing is some, some people would have for many in the beginning believed that black lives matter meant that other lives didn't, or, or white lives or Brown lives or Asian lives, That mm-hmm. the implication by the name alone,
5: that mm-hmm. those
4: other lives didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So should, uh, Someone be offended because donated by Black Lives Matter?
1: Interesting. I'm yeah. sorry,
4: that doesn't apply to us all.
1: Yeah, very interesting point. Very good point. Yes, Thank I'm you, not. Sarah. Uh, both of these, Rick and Sarah, are great points. So, a Connecticut food bank accepted and then returned a donation of food. Now, I, I'd never heard of this. I could imagine if it was expired or there was something wrong with the quality of it. Or I suppose if, you, God forbid, you found out that somebody had stolen food and then donated it to you, it would be the right thing to do, would be to, to give it back to whoever it was stolen from. But none of those were the case. Instead, Enfield Loaves and Fishes returned 855 pounds of food because it had been donated by the local chapter of Proud Boys. So... What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. Dev is on KTSA. Hi, Dev.
6: Hey, how's it going there today?
1: Good, sir. How are you?
6: Uh, I am good, but, uh, you know, that really upset me because... I wonder how the people who needed the food feel about this. Were they did they concerned if it was sponsored by whoever? They only concerned about getting food and eating and feeding their kids. As a person, and you know, as a person who grew up in that type of home, growing up, we didn't care where we got the food or who sponsored it or who did it or donated it. Only thing we were concerned about was not starving. So, have they asked the people who needed those donations how they felt about this?
1: That's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, they were talking about their mission, and this violated their mission, but they really only have one mission, right, which is to feed people.
6: Exactly. That's like saying the blood bank, oh, I can't accept blood because, you know, hey, it came from a um, a racist person. I can't accept that blood and give it to another person.
1: You know what, Dev, I, I agree with you, but let's not give them any ideas, okay?
6: <laughs>
1: that sounds Thank like, really that sounds like it. we'll be talking about that next week. <laughs> Thank you, Dev. Stay cool. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I I understand. I do. I understand the PR piece of this. They were probably having nightmares that Proud Boys would be boasting, bragging, posting on Facebook, and it would it would it would name them and look we gave them this, and the name would be there. But I I just I think they're underestimating people's ability to to see past that. Okay, yeah, I get what you're doing but i also get when a politician when you see a politician uh like at thanksgiving and he's ladling out food at a at a food bank or she okay that's that is somebody using the food bank to make themselves look good i'm a man of the people look at me but we all see through it and and nobody says they can't come or we don't want them politicians are the number one posers and uh you know if you will uh exploiters of charity but we let them do it and you know why we let them do it not because we needed somebody to ladle out the soup but because every little bit of attention and awareness if one more person finds out there is a food bank who didn't know before it's a good thing Deborah's on 550 and 1071 KTSA hi Deborah.
2: yeah I'm I've got a slightly different angle on it it is none of anybody's business who donated the, mo- the food to whoever. And I'm sad that, the, that whoever found out, I don't know if that was Proud Boys that told them or who it was, but that's no more the anybody else's business than what your sexual preference is. If your sexual, prefer- your sexual preference is your business, mm-hmm. I don't want to know your sexual mm-hmm. preference. But so, just go ahead, and if you want to give, but if you're going to start advertising about the fact you gave, that's a whole different. Or telling me that I got. To well, but agree people
1: with do. I believe. mean, everybody does that. Every group will advertise that they and gave. If,
2: and if that's what you want to do, then I don't want your food anyway. I'm sorry.
1: Oh. From that's anybody, me. or just from the Proud Boys?
2: I I know I don't want your food. If you see a need to advertise that you gave,
1: oh, but Deborah, you're not being realistic. Um, They get a tremendous amount of corporate support from companies that then, you know, brag or or or, uh, publicize the fact that they gave. You don't want to turn that down. That's ridiculous.
2: That that, I'm just saying my opinion on this.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I, I accept your opinion. I appreciate your call. I think you're. I think you're wrong because uh, I'll say, as somebody that's been running a, a charitable drive for many years, um, I was fine with banks and corporations and charitable groups and schools and uh, whoever supported Rapping with Jack, and we gave them all the love and support we could, and we posed for pictures with them a million times, and they, I'm sure. And when I say boast, I don't mean it in a, in a pejorative way. I need to find a better word. But, you know, they boasted about the fact that they helped or they brought gifts or they brought X number of people to the event. You, you would not want to tell people in the community they could not take credit. That's a better way to say it. You wouldn't want to tell people, hey, if you give to us, you can't take credit. I, I disagree with that. Um, but I think you're underestimating people's ability to know that that's what people are doing. And it does not reflect on the group that is distributing the 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 benefits, okay, that's helping people. You know, there's a lot of sinners that drop a coin in the basket of church. Probably pretty bad people. They're not all saints. But that money goes to good causes. We want it. We welcome to the KTSA, Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, Foreign Desk News Editor Lisa Daftari. Lisa, good afternoon to you
7: good
1: afternoon i was um i've been interested to ask you about this I was very uh impressed with what vladimir Zelensky said to the United Nations because as you know when American presidents go and other foreign heads of state go it's pretty much like they're having the you know it's like they're mm-hmm. it's like they're paying tribute to the u n These speeches are usually kind of full of platitudes and and uh ideals and he basically told them what are you what are you good for right (laughs) if you if you're not able to do anything about this what kind of an organization gives the country that invaded us veto power over anything you might work up the gumption to do about it Mm -hmm. um i don't think they've i don't know that, that there's been many speeches like that in the in the history of the u.n
7: no but i think it's if you look at a country like ukraine or perhaps the only one i can think of that would maybe slightly come close would be israel to say help us because we are really at our you know breaking point and mm-hmm. i think you go to the u.n to say i have nothing to lose i have only what to gain and uh in in the in the case of of ukraine uh, President Zelensky has done this with everyone. Even when you look at all the help they've gotten from Israel, for example, or the United States, I mean, he has been speaking in a very frank manner with both and saying, you know, we need more. We we cannot do this alone, and he has set the tone that this is a global fight. It's not just Ukraine's fight, but this is a global fight to stop Russia from moving forward. And of course, Ukraine is bearing the brunt of it, but he has made this, you know, something of a shared responsibility, and therefore he mm-hmm. speaks very frankly, and he's done that all throughout. Now, um, there are times where I I don't call it brave. I actually think his tone is, um, you know, a bit too uh narcissistic in some ways. I know a lot of people don't agree with me in this case because they look at him as this hero and this icon in the face of just, I mean, it's a David Goliath situation and he kind of, you know, wants the world to, to, to see him as this hero who has rolled up his sleeves and has not, you know, run away in the face of fear and that may be true but I think that you know, he's getting a lot of help and he is getting a lot of support globally. Uh, and in the case of the UN, you know, I happen to agree with him because they are a do nothing mm. um, body that has more times than not taken the wrong side and uh, done the wrong thing and really just symbolically, um, you know, existed to kind of put rogue nations on on uh, human rights commissions and women's commissions and then kind of calls out countries like israel um for apartheid and things like that so i i usually don't agree with the united nations and therefore i do think that Zelensky uh has every right to call them out but um i also think that sometimes his tone can can Mm -hmm. be much more um appreciative and you know um I guess, you know, the, the way that he puts people on the spot and asks for more and more and more, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Sometimes it moves, you know, it moved Congress to give more aid, but it didn't move mm-hmm. the President of the United States to uh block off a you know, no fly zone over Ukraine. So sometimes it works.
1: No, I think your I think your point's well taken and I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with we don't have to paint this in, in black and white terms. Um he he is a politician. Um that is a very, uh, that's, that whole situation is very checkered. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we had people in the State Department that were overseeing corruption in Ukraine. Like that was a, that was a thing. That was a desk, right? So mm-hmm. you can't suddenly pretend, oh, they're the, the, you know, they're the lily white, you know, snow white, uh, sacrificial lambs. I, I do want to ask you about the dilemma we have though, where because they have fought back, With skill and effectiveness, nobody argues that they haven't. They've. This has resulted in a maybe stalemate is too early a word to use, but this has resulted in something that's gone on much longer and looks like it could go on much longer than anyone had originally uh, expected. And then you have the reports of war crimes against civilians on a large scale, and the president is saying that Putin should be put on trial for war crimes. What What are your thoughts about that? Like, how How does that how does that work? And who, who takes the lead on that?
7: Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I happen to agree with you. I've said this before. If you had told us a year ago that Russia is going to go into Ukraine, I would say it's going to take about two hours. The longest it'll take is two days, right? It's not going to drag on and perhaps you know, the resistance that Ukraine has put up has has put this into a much more escalated place and has caused much more death and destruction than had they, you know, um, allowed Russia to come in and perhaps symbolically bring in their tanks and not have as many casualties, not have as many refugees, and for Zelensky to say, I surrender and walk away. We don't know what that would have looked like. We don't know if that would have even been an option. But now I think that um, perhaps when you look at the six things that um, Russia has demanded in in exchange for a peace or at least a ceasefire to begin with, um, it, it is much less than the, than, than the Ukrainians would have given up on day one. And now this is all assuming that Russia is being very honest and transparent and these six items would in fact lead to a, a truce or ceasefire of some sort. Um, that being said, uh, I do think that, you know, U- Ukraine putting up some sort of a fight um, will perhaps have Russia um you know have, have a bit more of a, of a self reflection. Have a you know, obviously there's something going on here that we don't know about, whether it's poor planning or his main strategist as Putin has blamed uh, you know, the strategist behind this the invasion plan and said that that, that it's his fault that he had poor planning and, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's news to Putin that this was the plan, and he, he thought they were doing great, and, and he didn't know that it's not going as well as it, as it should. Um, regardless of who bears that responsibility, it is Putin. It is Russia, you know, Putin's Russia that will now have to say, I, I cannot be as rogue as I have been. Perhaps he can remain in, in Syria, and perhaps he can remain, you know, in other parts of the world where they have extended themselves. But I think, had they taken Ukraine so quickly, that a confidence would have led to a you know maybe many more dominoes falling, many more of the small baltic states falling mm-hmm. um and going that way so I, I i do think that you know ukraine standing up to russia will will benefit the geopolitical landscape of that area will benefit um the the larger picture but in the in in the micro um mm-hmm. and it's not so micro we have you know a large number of 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 tragedies on both sides we have Um, you know, millions, I mean, 3.5 to 4 million refugees. And, you know, Europe cannot absorb these numbers. The United States cannot absorb these numbers. Israel cannot absorb these numbers alone. So it's going to be a a global effort to get these people settled.
1: Well, you know, and I think that all makes sense. Um, I'm just trying to think of what, what are the conditions. I mean, the only war crimes trial I know really very much about is Nuremberg. Well, we we utterly unconditionally defeated germany we captured you know foreign powers allied powers captured the people that were then put on trial and tried by allied judges uh american british etc uh in nuremberg we you're not going to have a foreign power capture vladimir putin right no. So you're going to try him in absentia. You're going to, you know, what, what are you going to put him on the people's court? I mean, what what is this going to what is this going to mean? And what, so I don't dispute that what he's doing is criminal. But what does it mean yes. when when our politicians call him a war criminal? Where does that go? Does it trivialize that term?
7: Yes, absolutely. I do believe that it's just symbolic in in in, in the way that. It's not going to do anything. Look, if Putin stops today, we'll all be so happy that we might even give him the cover of Time magazine. I mean, this is nothing. That's gonna true. Happen to the <laughs>
1: that's a very sad statement, but that's probably true. Oh, they I probably think he'll to get to speak at the confident. Oscars next year. Yeah, that's Absolutely. right.
7: Absolutely. Yes, he will. He will get. Oh. You know, um, a, a, a Nobel Peace Prize for for actually bringing mm-hmm. about peace. I mean, we are in such a backwards place in terms of our foreign policy and in terms of how we look at that, at at things that you know when, when we're trying to cut a deal and we're, we're we're with the Iranian regime a terrorist regime and we are rewarding Russia with the outcome meaning the fallout they can buy the extra enriched uranium and they can have a 10 billion dollar deal uh with Iran and these these are their parting gifts um, for For being the mediator in this deal, so we they 're still benefiting from our flawed foreign policy, so why wouldn 't he be a celebrated hero if he stopped no. all of this and if he doesn 't he still wins so it 's a win win for putin that 's why this calculation is so easy for him. He has absolutely nothing to lose i mean other than these b list uh, uh, troops of his that he 's you know you know senseless deaths and lives being lost, and people 's fathers and brothers. Um, being taken out because of of Putin's whimsical idea to go in there. Um, I do, you know, I I don't mean to speak so flippantly about this. This is obviously very, very tragic, and there's an absolute war going on, and there are, again, senseless deaths on both sides. But I do believe, to your point, that when we throw around these concepts, and many of these sanctions for that matter are just symbolic in nature so i do think that these bureaucrats that go to work in washington dc day in and day out and they or or go to the un and and they come up with these terms like we're going to call him a war criminal wow that's going to really yep. make putin shake in his boots he doesn't care yep. about these terms so he doesn't care about these you know uh, any one of these uh, global um bodies that are going to call him a name or try to come up with a tribunal you know to to, to what 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 will be the outcome the the bottom line is this, Jack, and I think that we've we've talked about this before, is that he is an absolute statesman and he's a calculated one. So he has made his calculations. He knows his equations. He knows what it takes and what it will um, cost him, what the consequences will be if he wins, if he loses, if he goes, and if he doesn't. Obviously, there have been some setbacks, but not enough to make him stop. Mm-hmm. And um, for that matter, he will continue going regardless of how many names we decide yeah. to call him.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. You brought the fire today, Lisa Daftari. We appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, we've been talking to Lisa Daftari about Ukraine and Russia and war criminals and war crimes and, um, not to in any way minimize what Russia has gone into Ukraine and done. Uh, but I think this kind of almost ties in a little bit with the, with the food bank story. Politicians are doing a lot of virtue signaling and posing over the Ukraine story. I mean, think about it. This one thing to say, I'm going to go help, or I'm going to give blood, or I'm going to donate money or food or emergency supplies. I'm going to do something that will directly help a Ukrainian man, woman, or child. Versus a lot of talk. You know, if you could stop Putin with speeches, he'd have already been rolled back to his crib. The politicians are talking this thing to death. But they spend a lot of time saying empty stuff like war criminal and war crimes. You can't have war crimes trials unless you capture him. How are you going to impose the sentence? Right? We're going to get the, the, the bounty hunter to go get him? And then, you know, it's sort of like with the food bank. You, you you have a lot of people that do a lot of posing and posturing around charity and charitable work. All that matters is whether hungry people get fed. That's all that matters. So we were talking about a Connecticut soup kitchen that um, accepted and then rejected uh, a donation of food items from Proud Boys of Connecticut. And your thoughts on that, and David is on KTSA. David, good afternoon.
8: How you doing, guy? I just wanted hey, to say, and I don't know if it's being brought up before, but I bet if that donation was a cash donation, they wouldn't be giving it back. Hmm.
1: Yeah, because once think? the bills change hands, who knows where the where the bills came from, right? I mean I, I get that they keep a record and they probably write receipts and they probably have to they probably have to keep by law, they probably have to keep, you know, a paper trail of where things come from. But I understand what you're saying. Um I think either way, if you're feeding people, that should be all that matters.
8: Agreed I've given yeah. cash donations and uh, I doubt that they would uh,
6: return that. Yeah. And who knows where it would go anyway. Yeah. Go to food
1: I had a, I had a guy I had a guy email me a few minutes ago and said, Well what if they had donated it in the name of somebody else or through some third party? Is there really any difference to that? And there really isn't, is there? Not at all yeah David, thanks. thank you thanks for the call. Good to have you sir you too uh two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five yeah they um they accepted it. This happened on march twenty seventh and there was a volunteer on duty and didn't know i guess didn't know the the policies and then the executive director has come out subsequently, and this is in the hartford current newspaper and said well we we have rules about this, and um we just will not accept uh from a group like that. And one of the things she said was that one of their rules is is the primary benefit of the gift to the soup kitchen or to the donor. I, I'm sorry, that's very naive. Um, both, both are beneficiaries because donors get to take credit for what they give. I mean, you know that, right? I mean, whether you personally do it or not, maybe you don't do it. Maybe you don't take tax write-offs when you make a tax-deductible donation. Maybe you don't. Uh, when they give you the little, um, placard to put your name on at Valero because you donated to the MDA telethon or something, you don't fill one out. That's okay. That's cool. But people do. Lots of people do. And, and the nonprofit world thrives. And, and believe me, welcomes. <laughs> uh people in the corporate world people in the political world that are giving and taking credit for giving cuz they know that's a big part of of getting stuff and building awareness and building bridges and relationships i mean there's people in nonprofits and and all they do all day is is build those relationships and it's a two-way street it is nothing wrong with that it's for, it's enterprise and you have to be enterprising if you want to feed a lot of people or help a lot of people so I, I'm look. I'm not ripping these people. They run a food kitchen. They're, I'm sure they're good people, really good people. God bless them for the work they do. But I think they might have got this one wrong. Um, so we're get, we're getting closer to what will be the certain Senate approval of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the United States Supreme Court. We haven't talked about it much because I got to be honest with you, I, I'm just not that interested in it. If if she's going to be approved. And it it would appear, barring some lightning bolt, that she will be. Um, and they have the votes and what have you. And it really is a, you know, you're changing out a left-leaning judge for a left-leaning judge. I understand there are differences. I understand people have specific concerns about stuff she said about the Constitution. You could even argue that Justice Breyer was much more, despite being liberal, was much truer to the Constitution than she seems to be. But this is where we're at because of the election. Okay, but I did have to point this out to you because I think this this says so much about Washington. There's now three Republican senators that have announced that they will vote for her, and you're not going to be surprised by who they are, right? Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and Senator Mitt Romney. But the Romney uh, announcement is interesting. Because he um, voted against Gitanji Brown-Jackson for confirmation to the federal bench. So she's on the, the D.C. Circuit, and when she was appointed by President Biden to that, Senator Romney voted against her. How do you... Assess someone as being unqualified for the lower court, but qualified for the higher court. Well, y- he's not going to explain it. No one will ever make him explain it. That's really what's wrong with Washington right there. I Man, just that makes no sense. I mean, I, I, I could tell you what I think about Mitt Romney's motivations. I, I don't think he's a bad person. But I think he's one of these people that, that became unglued by Trump. And uh, look, we would have been better off if he had defeated Obama in 2012. I, mark my words, no matter what you think of him now, that would have been a better direction for the country, but it didn't happen. And then Trump came along, and like a lot of people, he lost his ish over Trump. And um, he did a lot of things that seemed to be about sticking it to the Republican Party or punishing the base of the Republican Party for its robust and undying support of Donald Trump. He just cannot, you know. I, I don't mean to speak disrespectfully of of Senator McCain, but this is how Senator McCain would probably be conducting himself were he still alive. God rest his soul. But yeah, I mean, you voted against her for the lower court, but you're going to vote. You're announcing you're going to vote for her. Did she get a lot better in a year? <laughs> I mean, right? And um, he's done some other stuff. The whole thing he when he mixed it up with Tulsi Gabbard and accused her of treason, and you know. And then there's Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina. Um, He has announced. He announced yesterday uh, that he's a no vote for Ketanji Brown Jackson. Uh, He said in part. The historic nature of Judge Jackson's nomination reinforces the progress our country has made. Uh, however, ideology must be the determining factor, not identity, when considering such an important lifetime appointment. It's clear that Judge Jackson's judicial philosophy and positions make her the wrong choice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he cited some of the things she said and some of the positions that he took. I cannot, uh, I will be voting no on Judge Jackson. And the left had a meltdown over this. Now, why? I mean, Tim Scott's a Republican. You don't expect many Republican votes for the nominee of a Democratic president these days. That's not how it works anymore. It used to work that way, but it doesn't work that way anymore. What's the meltdown about? Well, the meltdown is because Tim Scott's black. What's he doing? Can you believe it? And when they say that, I, I don't, look, I'm, I'm not here to speak for black people, but I don't know how that is not the most condescending, patriarchal thing you could possibly say. You're basically saying he needs to know his place. Isn't that what you're saying? Isn't, aren't you saying he's, he's, he's not staying in his lane? He's not doing what he has been told to do? I mean his position is predictable, it's consistent with his ideology. If you didn't know his race, you wouldn't even think twice about it. But because he's a black Republican senator, the left had a complete just you know, grandma melt. just couldn't believe it and um they suggested that he was paid off or bought off. Funny, I never have I've never heard Anyone suggests the Democratic women senators who voted against uh, Amy Coney Barrett had betrayed women or been bought off? I never, never heard anybody say that. It's only if you're a black conservative. I know we have race problems in this country, but maybe the worst one we have is the tolerance of open and hypocritical abuse. Of black people who vote Republican or are conservative or are Christian, or don't swallow whole the the left's line about race. If you deviate a little, or you think a little independently, of, oh, then all bets are off. You you have, I mean, and and it's okay to say stuff that they would not tolerate anyone saying about any other african-american or hispanic american so and i i look tim scott doesn't need me to you know ride in on my horse here he's he's fine he's a tough guy and he i'm sure he expects this by now but um interesting to see isn't it 210 599 so um we talked a little yesterday about elon musk and we're asking you today on the jr poll do you think elon musk will be good for twitter now he is saying a lot of stuff at the moment, that's giving people hope that, and, and, it, and they announced that he's now going to be on the board of directors of Twitter, which you can imagine that was like, um, that was probably like a hostage tape, right? I'm sure they gritted their teeth in making that announcement, but he's got 9, 2, 9.2% of the stock. They probably had to do it. Um, but we're going to look at a little clo- more closely at what this might mean. And I want to get your thoughts about it. Our question on the JR poll phone lines are open. Do you think Elon Musk? will be good for Twitter. Does this mean the beginning of the end of censorship and deplatforming people? Is this the beginning of social media returning to what we thought it was going to be when it first came along? Do you you think this is as big a deal as they're making it out to be? Uh, Or what? What are you expecting from him? You know what I want to play, Don, next hour, if you can have it ready, not now but uh, coming up, is that uh, little piece by Tammy Bruce uh, where she was talking about Twitter and explaining the role of Twitter. I'll play that. We played it the other day and it's so good. I've never heard anybody put it so well. It takes her like a minute and she just breaks down where we're at with Twitter. But so Elon Musk is now a major shareholder and, um, he, uh, he had been hinting that he was going to start his own social media platform and he had been asking people questions. Should, should a social media platform do this? Should it, should it do that? Perhaps knowing all along, he wasn't going to start one. He was going to buy into one. Um, and I think that's smart. I, I will say this. I, I've, I've called for a long time for more competition. We need more platforms. That's one way to, to beat, you know, the big brother deplatforming, colluding thing that's going on. But I also think there's, there's great value. If you can buy into or take control of an existing one, obviously that's a shortcut. Um, now he hasn't done that yet, and there's no guarantee he will do that, but they've now put him on their board. And, um, look, we don't know if he's doing this for some completely unrelated reason or because of all the money he made from selling his Tesla stock or, or, or what. But people are, are, I think, hoping that this is somebody that seems to favor the marketplace of speech. Getting into an influential position in a company that doesn't, that doesn't favor, a marketplace for speech, that believes the power they have and the and the thing they've built is a is a control tool, so it's not a public square, it's a you know it's an exclusive club. What do you think is going to happen here? Two ten, five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. I. I think we have to be careful, not like Lisa Daftari was saying earlier. It's, you don't want to oversimplify a guy like Vladimir Zelensky. You, you don't want to oversimplify a guy like Elon Musk. Uh, and I, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but Elon Musk has said some things that are whack. Okay. Uh, not that long ago, uh, he was, tw- he had gone to China and he was tweeting out how glorious, that was the word he used, China's economic achievements were. And how great it was that they had built, um, all of this infrastructure. And he was telling people, which is kind of comical for a multi billionaire, you need to come and see this. Like, okay, I'll, I'll see if I can get a Southwest flight to Beijing. But, but, you know, he, he didn't make any mention of concentration camps and Uyghurs and, uh, what, the Chinese Communist Party has done to people in the name of building cities and building factories. Uh, he didn't mention Hong Kong and what they're doing there. Uh, so the economic growth is, is undeniable, but you have to know what a, you know, devastating human cost, uh, it has come at. The prison camps, the colonization of Tibet, uh, the surveillance state. I, I just i i would be careful not to make Elon Musk your new favorite person. Um, he's not Ronald Reagan, okay. He and he he may wind up being very good for Twitter, but he may be very good for Twitter for reasons that are not the reasons you would have wanted him to do it. Like guys like this, and I would even say this about Donald Trump. Sometimes they do things that you applaud because the outcome dovetails with what you want but they're not doing it for the reason you would have done it or you wanted it done they're making a business deal they're they're increasing their their wealth they're multiplying their dollars and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand that's what they're doing they're they're not crusaders they're not altruistic they're they're good businessmen they're good at multiplying their money that's what they do and i think if elon musk is good for twitter and I think he could be, that will be probably why. Because it's not just a cesspool, it's not just a, you know, it's not just in collusion with the deep state, it's also really an imploding platform. And I'm sure he's looking down the road and thinking, hey, if they keep this up, they're not going to keep growing. So we'll see what happens. Of course, he's also, you may have heard, in the electric car business. I read a piece today on a blog that I follow. It's Auto Evolution. And it was saying that um, there's been a skyrocketing demand for electric vehicles in the United States driven by the high cost of fuel. A study done by Cars.com searches for electric vehicles, so people using the cars.com platform to search, searches for electric vehicles up 173% in the last month. But you have to read between the lines here. They're not saying everybody's buying electric cars. People on both sides of you now own electric cars in their driveway. Look, no. They're saying people are searching them. Well, searching them is finding out how scarce they are. Searching them is finding out how expensive they are. Researching them is also finding out things like range limitation and range anxiety and the issues with batteries and charging stations. So the adoption of electric vehicles is not skyrocketing, but people are starting to turn to them. You're a car guy, Dennis. I Mm -hmm. mean, do you see yourself
0: going electric? Uh, sometime in the future, but for me, I, it'd have to be like a commuter car or something that, that would be good on a day-to-day basis, but not something I'd take on a long road trip.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, is there some, is besides
1: range, is there some other factor that's not presently at work that needs to be for you? Like price or...
0: I kind of like the uh, sound. Of, I like the sound of an exhaust. So, <laughs> oh man, you know what? I'm with you there, and
1: and I'm wondering. I seriously wonder if at some point in the future they'll just either synthesize or have re- you know digitally recorded car sounds.
0: Yeah, I know there are some brands that that you know make sounds when you're going. through faster and it's...
1: well like in europe where
0: they have a lot of electric uh lorries and
1: trucks they've actually had to volvo actually had to add a an engine sound yeah. because people were getting hit yeah you know, pedestrians were getting hit because they didn't hear it coming um but yeah i could see what you're saying like if it's a performance type you know sporty looking electric vehicle giving it a little uh oomph yeah just to give you that feeling you know and also, um, you just
0: want it to be fun. Like I want a car that's fun to drive. That's yeah, I know. I know there are a lot yeah. of people out there who just like it as a. I don't want to say an appliance. Yeah. You know, but but you know, it's, for some people, it's a tool. But for me, it's I I, I need yeah. I need a little bit of a uh, gusto, a little bit of fun to it. All
1: right, those are Dennis's needs. Yeah. What are your needs? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five in Road and Track magazine. Uh, a leading executive at Mercedes, Marcus Schaefer. Says, he's the chief technology officer at Mercedes. He says, we're not even close to EVs being as cheap as a gas car. In fact, he says the cost penalty for EVs, uh, is not only high, but it's going to go higher in the next few years. So the, the gap, okay, the, the, the price you're going to pay to go electric is going to go up before it goes down, he says. Um It's far out there, he told Road and Track. I don't see that with the chemistry that we have today. Price-wise, the cheapest production EV in America is the Nissan Leaf, which uh, lists at just under 29000 um To put it in perspective, that's over $10,000 more than Nissan's cheapest gas-powered car. The Tesla Model 3, which was going to be the EV for the masses, and they had said it would come in under 30,000. Currently, that now starts at 48,000. And so, I, I think it's good that people are being honest about this and saying, look, it's it's a work in progress. Uh, where are you at on that right now? 210-599-5555, price, range, something else. Um, Craig is on 550 and 107, one KTSA, and Craig, I know we've talked about this before, you're a Tesla guy, right?
8: Yes, sir. Um, I bought a BMW i3 for sixteen grand, and I traded it in and got a Tesla Model Three. It was six months old, and I paid thirty-four for it. So, mm-hmm. hearing it'd be expensive for a Mercedes guy, I don't, I don't understand it. But, um. I just want to let everyone. Well, no, know I understand
1: that. it because one thing I've read is that the the resale falls off the shelf with these things. So you, by buying it used, somebody took a huge hit on that Tesla Model Three.
8: Maybe at the time they were thirty nine, so they did up the price a little while ago. Mm-hmm. But it was thirty nine for a long time. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to let you guys, let everyone know. Like you and I talked about this, that Tesla does have the infrastructure for Dennis. I use it as a commuter car. I live in Lacoste. Um, I've traveled in this car. The only thing that sh- shook me to the core was the insurance, but Elon Musk is so smart. He's come up with Tesla-based insurance. So I was wow. paying 250 a month for insurance, and now I'm paying 73
1: Why is the insurance so every- higher on an electric car? I didn't, I didn't know that. Why is that?
8: <laughs> I had a deer actually hit me, which sounds weird.
1: But no, it, I've had it, that it happen.
8: Ruined, okay, cool. I, it ruined my back quarter panel, but it was $13,000 in damage, so that's why the insurance is so high.
1: But what, I, don't under, I, I still don't understand. I mean, a, a car is a car. A fender is a fender. Why, why would it be oh. so much more in an electric car?
8: Well, I, don't, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know. They replaced a lot of panels. Yeah. So what you're
1: saying, fast. you're not saying electric cars are more to insure. You're saying Teslas are more to insure.
8: Oh, electric cars in general are more to insure.
1: Okay, but you yeah. so it wasn't just that yours was a Tesla. If you had hit, had been if you'd been hit by the deer in a in a Nissan Leaf, you think it still would have been more than a gasoline powered Nissan?
8: Whatever, yeah, whatever the equivalent is of the. Nissan I wonder why, Nissan. I
1: wonder why that would. Uh, I wonder why that would be. I mean, I'm just curious about that. I'd never heard that before.
8: Yeah, it's it's weird because it sure it seems like insurance companies are penalizing EV owners.
1: Hmm. I wonder if it's just because they figure right now the average EV owner has more disposable income. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I will let them know, Craig. I will let them know. But I'm just being cynical. I'm thinking maybe they figure they can charge more because, on average, that's a person of more means. Not in your case. but uh. All right, so one more thing I want to ask you before you go. Um You don't agree with the guy that we have a long way to go before they become uh, on a par or parity with gas. What do you think people's objections are? What what, what do you think the people that are looking at you going, I'm not doing that, what do you think their reason is?
8: Because every other car outside of Tesla does not have the infrastructure. I've seen people out at the outlet mall stressing out because their supercharger for all these other cars is Mm -hmm. down.
1: Oh, okay. And the
8: reporting systems for all these apps doesn't work. So, yes, there is range anxiety. It's real. Yeah. I understand that. But uh, I've not encountered it myself at all.
1: Great. Okay. Craig, always good to hear from you, sir. Thanks for the call tonight. And Craig's always... We always always get Craig when we talk about electric cars. He's probably the first guy I ever talked to that uh, called into the show and said, I've got one. It was a long time ago. 210-599-5555. Um, on the range thing, here's another thing I was reading. I read all these car blogs. Um, There is a um, new technology or a technology, I guess. I don't know if it's new that Hyundai is working on, and Hyundai also builds Kia, and they have two really impressive electric cars, the Ionic 5 and the Kia EV6, really nice-looking, really impressive, at least on paper. I want to see them in person, but um, they are addressing the range anxiety thing with an 800-volt battery that they claim you can charge to 80% in 18 minutes. Now, we're nowhere near the time it takes to fill a gas tank full of gas, but 18 minutes sounds like in the course of a day, if you had to, you could take out 18 minutes. Um, so that that sounds viable to me. Yeah, I think Craig is right. I think range anxiety is a thing. I, I really think I think price is a thing. And then when I look at electric cars that maybe I could afford, some of them look really small. And I don't think I should drive a smaller car because it's electric. That doesn't make sense to me. I want to get the size I want to get. If you can tell me that you can do that with electric, okay. But, um, and I know they come in all sizes, SUVs, pickup trucks, everything. But when I look at what I could afford, I don't want to drive a phone booth just because that's the one that's in my price range. So I, I think, I think the Mercedes guy has a point. I think it's, it's got a ways to go. Um, I, I keep coming back to I'm not anti electric car. Honest to God, I'm not. But I, I am anti government mandating electric cars. I think we would be way better off if this was market driven. If the consumer was, you know, driving the bus. If there was competition, you know, among all the different ways of uh, moving people. So if we were really having a marketplace where gas competed alongside electric, which competed alongside other things, maybe hybrid and plug-in hybrid and uh hydrogen cell and anything else that may come along, but government right now is picking a winner, right? They've put guardrails up, and and they've said only electric, and they're not letting there be a competition. They're not letting the public, the marketplace decide. In the whole history of the automobile – Okay, which is over 100 years old, the marketplace decided. And they're not letting that happen. Something tells me that's going to turn out to be a mistake. Maybe I'm just set in my ways, but I think think people got it right before, and I think people would get it right now. Asia writes to Jack at KTSA.com. Hi, Jack. I just bought an electric vehicle. I have the Kia EV6. I love that thing. I want to go for a ride in that thing. Uh, Asia writes, I absolutely love it. I get 300 miles to the charge. My insurance is not higher. It's the same as it was, maybe a little cheaper than the gas vehicle I had before this, which was a Mazda. The big difference I have found in this electric vehicle versus a Tesla is the charger. A Tesla charger does not fit my EV charger, but they do sell adapters so that you can use a Tesla supercharged station on a regular electric vehicle, not associated with Tesla. So different experience there with the, EV, um, where do you see yourself on that? 210-599-5555. Jason is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Jason.
6: Hey, how you doing, Jack?
1: Good, how are you doing?
6: Oh, I can't complain. Just got home from work. I was listening to you the whole way, so I had to catch up where you were at when I came in the house and got changed clothes. But uh, So uh, which part are we talking about? Having the electric vehicle? Are we talking about Elon Musk still?
1: Yeah, we can hear about any Look, first of all, you don't have to change clothes to call me. Uh, you can call me, a, you, you can call me wearing anything, but, um, yeah, we can talk about both of them. I mean, it says here on the screen, you have a hybrid or you own a hybrid.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So we got a, uh, my wife's company car, she got a Toyota RAV4 prime, which is the one that you can plug in, mm-hmm. uh, and charge it. And then it runs on gasoline as well. Uh, mm-hmm. the thing about that one is it runs good. It has good, you know, uh, it, it has good get up, get up and go. Uh, but the thing is, is like with the, that model, it only, you get about 45 miles to 50 miles on the electric. Uh, and then after that, it goes just straight to gas, uh, and it'll charge up a little bit. Uh, but my biggest concern, the weirdest thing about them is they're convenient. And like, if they were affordable, I mean, I figure a lot more people would have them, but I think it's one of these things that it's so, so early in the, the whole evolution of these that I don't think people are thinking about the future. And the life, the life expectancy, of the batteries, how much they cost to, to replace them. And then, you know, what do they do with them? How do they dispose of them? Like we, we think about the instant gratification, but I don't mm-hmm. think we're thinking long-term if you know what I mean. I,
1: I think it might be a whole different ball game when you say instant gratification, because I think if people get into electric vehicles, if, if it's going to be at the price point, I think it's going to be, it's going to be more like buying a house than buying a car you're not going to be oh, turning yeah. it over every couple of years because you, you want one that looks different or you want a different color um, I, I have the feeling people will just have to finance them more keep them longer um, but even if people are willing to do that that like you say they still have to it has to make sense on a day-to-day basis economically right. and range and I, I, I don't know if we're there yet it doesn't sound like we're there yet
6: no, I, I don't think so. Because like my my folks live in Deep East Texas, and it takes you know it's like three hundred forty miles to go out and see them, and I couldn't get out there on uh, just a Tesla, you know.
1: Um. So I mean, I, I'm saying I'm not saying it'll never come, but I, I think we're further. I think we're further away from it than the politicians want us to be. When they say by 2030, oh, yeah. that is right around the corner. They're crazy.
6: Oh, absolutely, I, and and they're pushing that, and like they've got ulterior motives. And I don't know what they all are, but we we know our government. But it's uh the the thing about it is, is we're not there yet, and uh and and the pride and the long term effects, and and who owns all the lithium? You know, where where are we going to get mm-hmm. all of that from? Like, they, yeah. and and what does it take to get that out of the ground? And what happens when we just start depleting that and we start filling yeah. up these junkyards with cars that yeah. have batteries that have reached their life expectancy? So,
5: yeah.
6: I, I don't know. So- I think it's got a long way to come.
1: Yeah, no, those are good points. Jason, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, if you think about the history of cars in the early years of m- mass production cars, um, things changed very quickly. So there was rapid um, evolution of, of components and rapid evolution on price and size and scale and, and distribution. You know, the, the the idea of the modern car dealership uh, evolved very quickly because you were selling cars the way you sold horseless carriages. You were selling people in the early years of the car, you were selling people a chassis and they had to go somewhere else to get the coach work, as they called it, what we would now call the body. So that all... Came together very quickly. It could happen very quickly again. Like the battery thing could be solved in a few years. The charging and range thing could be solved in a few years. I'm not saying it won't be. I have a lot of confidence that we're the most innovative, creative people. Uh, you know, we're going to do it. But all I'm saying is politicians are writing checks that they, they can't cash. They can only hope that people much smarter than them will, will have breakthroughs or discoveries that that they they have not yet made. The other thing and I'm glad Jason brought up lithium and and uh, rare earth elements that go into electric batteries because wouldn't it have been smarter I know you're going to laugh when I say this like when have politicians been smart? But wouldn't it have been smarter to first get a handle on the rare earth market. Say we're going to we're going to surreptitiously move on this. We're going to find where this stuff is we're going to get our talons into it. And when we know we have control, or at least access, to a plurality of it, if not the majority of it, then we'll announce we're all in on EVs. We did the opposite. We announced we're all in on EVs, and guess who moved in and, con- and cornered the market? Two countries. You don't even need me to name them. You already know who they are. And we're sitting here with our thumbs you know where promising people an electric car future while countries that hate us probably will control that future. Pretty crazy, right? Isn't it ironic that we're going to go from depending on a kind of fuel that we used to have to get from countries that hated us and now we're saying we're going to replace that with a new kind of power but it turns out we're going to again have to go to countries that hate us to get the rare earth elements that go into current lithium batteries now maybe that will change maybe those things will be obsoleted or there'll be a whole new technology maybe 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 but again the politicians are saying within a few years the car companies are saying within a few years states are going even faster some states are saying we're going to do we're going to mandate it before the year 2030 we talked about Washington State the other day. Two hundred ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Lee says no to electric vehicles. Hi Lee.
9: Hi, uh Jack. Yeah, for, well first of all I can't afford one, so it takes care of the rest of it, but I want something I can, you know, drive six hundred seven hundred miles without having to stop three times and spend a long time mm-hmm. charging up. Plus, I, uh, what if you only I, had to said, stop was-
1: once? Would would once in six hundred miles be okay?
9: Uh yeah, we'd go that far. <laughs> If you got that range, I guess.
1: I think you would. I think you could do that. I think most, even now, there's vehicles that you could get 300 off of. So, if you had a 600 mile trip, you could stop once.
9: And I don't know how big these vehicles are, but uh, I drive a minivan because my wife's in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. and you know they got room for a wheelchair and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm kind of concerned about. If, if everybody's got one, we're going to have enough electricity. or are going to have right. to charge your every other day. Like, you know, right. you got gas back in the 70s or like last yeah. winter when we didn't have no electricity for a week.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, it, it it does make you wonder. We're not building more electric capacity, but we're promising we're going to need a lot more electricity. That's very weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I, I, I think the price thing is the biggest thing. I think that's going to be the number one thing people are, the price is a shocker when you look at the price on these things. It's unbelievable. So Lee, thank you for the call, sir. Newstime 638. Coming up, we'll do the math, get the results on our JR poll. Uh, and since Elon Musk is on the poll question, I figured, figured we could uh, kind of fold him into the, we're, obviously we're talking about Twitter in his case, but kind of fold him into the discussion about uh, EVs. The CTO of Mercedes says he thinks we're a ways away from parity, meaning that... Um, Owning an EV will be comparable as an economic decision to owning a gasoline-powered car. There is new news and promising news just about every week about addressing things like range anxiety and recharging. I, I saw another story today. This is also from Road & Track. This says General Motors and Honda have teamed up. Uh, they're going to combine to build uh, global electric vehicle architecture, that will be the underpinning for both GM and Honda brand models. So they'll look different. They'll be branded differently. They'll be sold by General Motors dealerships or Honda dealerships. But underneath, the the skeleton will be common to both uh, of these companies. And I think that's the kind of thing that you're going to have to have, right? You're going to have to have a lot of collaboration and uh, alliances you would never have seen before uh, to get there. But I, I just still think we should get there by having a marketplace of different uh, competing technologies. And honest to goodness, if you really wanted to be a uh, truly free enterprise about this, uh, you'd leave oil and gas vehicles in the mix. They would continue to be in the mix for a long, long time. We're not at the end of gas and oil. We're not, the planet is not going to be dead in six years. Uh, these are not killing the planet. So if we were doing this in a market driven, logical way, yeah, let's have everything compete. But what we're doing instead is this ideological, you know, um, dictatorial government picks winners and losers, uh, way. And I, I, I worry about how that's going to turn out. You know, if you look at how that worked with, um, green energy subsidies in the Obama administration it was a disaster. And that was on a much smaller scale than trying to determine how billions of people move around the planet. 210 599 Michael is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Michael.
5: Hey. Uh, my wife recently traded in her Z71 for a BMW 330E. Once mm-hmm. the fuel prices went nuts, he was going to the gas station twice, $70 a time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, about the future of EVs, at least the near-term future is not like Tesla style. You've got to have a plug-in hybrid, which has an engine also, so then you don't have to worry about range, and that's what this car is. Mm-hmm. It actually has a pretty small battery with only a 15-mile mm-hmm. range, but you use that at strategic times when you're in the traffic jam or when you're almost home or when you're almost at work and you're off the highway. But when you're on the highway... You're cruising with the engine, and you don't have to stop and wait for some supercharger or something. And there's studies that show that full battery vehicles, like only battery electric vehicles, actually have a worse carbon footprint than a regular vehicle because of uh, what it takes to make those batteries.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, we're treating gasoline-powered cars today like they're the gasoline-powered cars of the 50s and 60s. Those were the ones you could smell when they drove by. Uh, Gas-powered cars today are vastly more clean uh than than they were and so i i'm with you i think that's the way to go to 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 give to make competition and to make combinations you know hybrid vehicles where you combine different
5: kinds of fuel i agree with you how do you like the 330e uh she it's her first car so she's really struggling with that right now that <laughs> she's been in trucks her whole life and now she's mm-hmm. forced to a car where she's even more unhappy with our president right now because of that he won <laughs> and made her go from a truck to an yeah. ev and yeah. and she's not happy about it but otherwise uh we're kind of a sort of bmw family my brother goes through them like crazy and i had a 330i yeah. so we yeah. like it uh, it's a nice
1: car yeah it's a nice car yeah, fun to drive well, thank you michael back. appreciate it um jimmy is on 550 and 1071 ktsa hi jimmy
3: Hey, how you doing, Jack? Uh, the biggest problem I have, and I haven't heard anybody mention it, is there's a lot of do-it-yourselfer guys out there. And I had a Prius. I bought it just because I drove so much. But at one time, it just said, pull over, stop the engine, and, uh, call maintenance. And you're, you're just stuck. You're at their discretion. Yeah. You have no idea what's actually wrong. And uh, I've never taken my shop, my car to a shop, and it just leaves you hopeless.
1: Do you I hear what you're saying I do but do you think that we're probably it's probably inevitable that cars will be like sealed units you know I mean it's just the 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 days of you being able to do that in your own driveway are probably numbered no matter what I mean look at all the engine covers and sheaths that are on cars now
3: Oh yeah and you've always been able to tell if if the dealer was trying to pull a quick one on you if you knew anything about cars and yeah. People are talking about the way they sound or what have you. But now if they tell you it's the flux capacitor, hell, you don't right. know it. it may be the flux right.
1: capacitor. Right. I think you're right about that. Uh, I appreciate the call, Jimmy. I think that's a great point. I have a, a vehicle that I did not know it when I bought it, but uh, I got a check engine light. I took it to a transmission place because it, it pulled a code for the transmission. The guy was telling me, he told me two things. He said, first of all, this is an incredible transmission. This is a you know This is the best transmission. But he said it's a sealed unit. So fortunately, the code was a false alarm. But he said, we don't, we don't take these apart and work on them. This is it. This unit is, is a self contained thing. And that I think that's the future. I I frankly think that's probably the future, even if you were to continue to buy gasoline powered cars for as long as they're available. More and more, you got to think of the, the mechanics or the mechanicals of it as that's. That's not for you and me. That's a sealed unit. That's, and that is like an appliance, you know, that's going to be like other things in your life that when they go, they just go. And, uh, I, I, it's probably hard to get used to. I think it is. Um, but that is one thing. Telling people where we've picked a, a future for you and this is the only future and this is the, Only good thing to do. And if you want anything else, that means you're, you're killing the planet and you're a bad person. We've never done this before with cars. Uh, and this is not how the car evolved and how it became the, the thing that it's become the greatest vehicle of freedom and, 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 you know, the most life changing invention of all time. I, I, I think that's, I think to let the politicians do this, to let people that have been wrong about way smaller things, and to say, okay, well, I guess you guys know, so you can make this huge decision that will affect every aspect of our lives, I think it's a mistake. And I think it's a mistake that might get reversed, because, you know, the current craze is because the Democrats are in power. And I'm not endorsing anybody or trying to push you toward any one candidate, but if you had a, a president run DeSantis and a Republican Congress, I wonder if they would, uh, move those dates out. Those 2030 dates and those 2028 dates. And we're going to mandate and we're going to, I think those, I think those dates are going to change if there's a political reversal in the country. I can't promise you that, but that's just what I think. Politicians are making these choices. Politicians can change these choices. They're not being driven by the marketplace. The the push for electric vehicles isn't coming from you and me. It's coming from them. And I agree with the caller who said there's ulterior motives at work here. There definitely are. They have been at war with the car for a long time. First, because having your own vehicle, having a personal use vehicle, gives you power, makes you hard to control. Then they latched on to the idea that it's dirty and it's killing the planet. And now the high gas prices are a gift from the heavens for these same politicians. Because, as you heard me say it with Cars.com, 173% increase in people searching EVs in the last month. Well, do you think politicians that are, that are pushing for EVs, you think they have any incentive to really lower or, or permanently make gas prices competitive again? Why would they do that? Those high gas prices are getting them what they've always wanted. So they'll tell you they're concerned about it. They'll say, I feel your pain. But when the cameras go off and they close their office doors, they're laughing at us because this is hurting us, H-E-R-D, hurting us right to where they want us to be. Um, J.R. Poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, the question, do you think Elon Musk will be good for Twitter, whatever good for Twitter means, 70% 70% said yes, 30% said no. There was a picture on Twitter today, speaking of that, that was, it's, it's really, I, I did not repost it, I will not repost it. A group of trans people, who are men, posed um, wearing white underwear with red paint on it, and the caption is, people have periods. People have periods. I'm having a period right now where I can't stand <laughs> this kind of insanity. I, I, you know, I never thought I would see the day. I, I, all my life I've heard women talk about how awful that time of the month is and getting through it, and dreading it. Weathering it, and the idea that now people that don't have it would simulate it, envy it, wish they had it, pretend—it's—it's just—I don't know. So, yes, I'd say we're all going through a period right now. If you know what I'm saying, right? And there was a story today. We didn't have a chance to talk about it. Uh, They're considering in Palm Springs, California giving every transgender resident universal basic income. So the city would, would pay you uh, if you were transgender. Not for anybody else, only for transgender people. And they're, I guess, very close to doing this. Palm Springs, California. And um, they've got their reasons, which we'll get into tomorrow, which you may be interested in hearing. Or not, I don't know. Um I wanted to leave you with one more thought tonight, and this is something that um, I did not know about because I didn't watch the Oscars. I didn't, you know. So, like you, I, I heard about the slap, and I've seen the slap a gazillion times, and I'm sick to death of all the post-game analysis of the slap. And uh, I don't think anything major is really going to happen. I don't think there's going to be any real consequence for Will Smith. I, I, whether there should be or not, I don't really think there will be. Uh, we've talked about this as if he's on trial for his life. Please, he's not. But apparently a lot of other things happened at the Oscars. And it doesn't make me wish I had watched them. But I wanted to mention this, because maybe you didn't watch either, and maybe you didn't know about this. So, at one point at the award show, um, they had this moment where um, they brought out, to announce Best Picture winner, Liza Minnelli, who has been out of the public eye for a long time, and it turns out the reason is she's battling encephalitis. She's in a wheelchair. She's, I think, 78 and really, really struggling. Um, But they brought her out, and they had Lady Gaga come out with her. And I watched this video today. If you get a chance to see it, if you're interested in such things, um... It's it's really quite a moment. I, I think I'm beginning to realize why people love Lady Gaga so much. So she comes out with Liza Minnelli. She's in a wheelchair. Uh, Lady Gaga is holding her hand. She is reassuring her. She's telling her as the audience is applauding. See, they love you, and she's helping her. Uh, you know, read the nominees. It's a beautiful moment. I think it's genuine. Um, I think it's one of those acts of kindness that is not, not I mean, we should be this way, we should do these things, but it still is admirable when you see somebody take the time, uh slow themselves down, humble themselves. Lady Gaga is a big star. She could have said, Hey, I want my own moment, but she recognized that Liza Minnelli is part of, you know, Hollywood history for a whole lot of reasons um and uh, i 'm not a particularly big fan of either of these women, but i I watched the clip and again if you if you have a chance to see it it 's humanity it 's graciousness and then it may make you wonder why don 't moments like this go viral? Why is it always everywhere, not just at the Oscars, not just in Hollywood, but why is it always the aberrant and the obnoxious, and why is it never the gracious and the kindness? And check it out if you get a chance. And I'll see you back on the radio tomorrow at 4 or our show is available anytime you want, wherever you want, on demand, KTSA.com.